0: We will make America great again. Again.
1: Again? Again and again? And
2: again and again
1: and again. Okay, good luck with that. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you I am Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica with Radio in Los Angeles, this is The broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. Yes, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from brandblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today on just another day in Donald Trump's America right now with another uh, unsurvivable once-in-a-hundred-year storm super-fueled by man-made global warming on the Gulf Coast. More uh, once-in-100-years horrific fires intensified by man-made global warming out here in California, right-wing vigilante murders of peaceful police protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin, after yet another horrific shooting of a black man by a white police officer there, a wildly contagious pandemic which has killed more than 180,000 Americans due to a failure of leadership, By the federal government and today, I believe, for the um, 23rd week in a row now, if my math is correct, the nation has again shattered the pre-COVID record for weekly unemployment claims with more than a million new jobless claims filed last week. The old record was, by the way, before COVID, 695,000 in one week, and yet... We have seen more than a million such claims each week for 22 of the past 23 weeks, with some of the earlier weeks clocking more than 6 million jobless claims. And against that backdrop this week, Donald Trump and the Republican Party would like to have four more years, please.
2: Because it's all going so very well.
1: Yes, it is. They're going to make America great again, again. And again. Also, uh, Donald Trump's newest chief of staff, Mark Meadows, would like to have a Republican fill his now vacant U.S. House seat in what was once a very red district of North Carolina, though perhaps less so after recent redistricting in the state, as ordered by the courts. The 25-year-old GOP candidate, who is apparently a Nazi enthusiast, seriously, I'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, A kid by the name of Madison Cawthorn, which is about the most Republican name I think you could possibly find. I think he's now running for that seat against longtime hero, really, to many of us, uh, Colonel Mo Davis, who, as the uh, chief military prosecutor at Gitmo, stood up against both the George W. Bush and Obama administrations regarding prosecutions at Guantanamo and the use of evidence gained via torture in those prosecutions. Well, he is running against Madison Cawthorn, who spoke last night at the Republican National Convention. Colonel Moe Davis, on the other hand, will join us here on the broadcast shortly to discuss it all. Uh, but first, Desi Doyne, it looks like we uh, we picked a great week, by the way, <laughs> for a truncated Green News Report schedule, didn't we?
2: With everything happening all at once, yeah. Well, it's like yeah, nothing stops.
1: It was it w- due to the uh, coverage of the conventions. but yes. So there's no official Green News Report today. But as we had warned yesterday on, uh, on the broadcast, the... Texas-Louisiana border was about to get walloped by Hurricane Laura, which quickly spun up from, I think it was a Category 2 when we were on the air yesterday, to a very powerful Category 4 just a couple hours later before it then slammed into Louisiana just east of the border with Texas in the middle of the night amid the evacuations of more than half a million people in the region. So uh, Des, where are we now as uh, as the extent of the damage is becoming, clearer uh, coming to light today, as I understand it, with the nearly a million customers now out of power in the Actually, region? Actually,
2: more than that. More than 600,000 uh, homes and businesses are now without power. Four people have been killed by falling trees. That's according to state officials in Louisiana. Interestingly, no confirmed fatalities yet in Texas. So that is good news. Um, and I should note that the hurricane's top wind speed of 150 miles per hour has put it among one of the most powerful storms on record to hit the United States.
1: Ever. Ever Ever yep. And
2: uh, it's intensification That rapid intensification More intensi-
1: powerful by the way Than ca- uh, Katrina Which people think of As the huge storm I think that was a
2: Category three yeah. Cat- Katrina was This when was it a made category Land. four Correct example. And uh, Laura's uh, Rapid rate of intensification Has tied for the fastest in- Intensification on record For the Gulf of Mexico So as far as other damage uh, A floating casino Came unmoored from a bridge Lots of major damage To buildings In the city's downtown There were some tall glass skyscrapers that the windows were nearly all broken out um, because downtown hit the uh, got the eye wall of the Mm. storm where the strongest winds are. Uh, Firefighters, however, this is very dangerous, are battling a very large and very dangerous chemical fire that was started by a chlorine leak at a chlorine production plant just west of Lake Charles. Mm. The uh, chlorine, when it leaks, it actually creates its own heat. And that is apparently what started the fire. But there is no word yet on what exactly caused the chlorine leak in the first place. And so uh, the Plant had been shut down. The employees had been evacuated. They're now there trying to contain the leak and try to contain the fire. It's at the Biolab Incorporated complex. And it it had to shut down Interstate 10 because the toxic smoke was blowing across the interstate. And residents in Sulphur, Louisiana, that's the nearest town, have been told to. That's what it's
1: called? Sulphur, Louisiana? Oh,
2: boy. Okay. Uh, They've been told to shelter in place with their doors and windows closed and their air conditioning turned off. Even though temperatures are in the upper 80s Because uh, chlorine is not something that you want to breathe It won't kill you, but it can cause severe lung damage
1: So even if you do have power still in the region To run your air conditioner you shouldn't it do it off. If you live near there There's right. a lot of Petrochemical plants uh, oh, Down in that region the entire
2: region Is a petrochemical Central And yeah. there are Dozens and dozens Of plants Throughout the area From Beaumont All the way across To New Orleans So having the uh, Shutdown of all Of these facilities Actually causes Pollution to be leaked mm. And the startup Will cause even more Pollution to be leaked And we'll find out More about what Was inundated And if, if any of the Floodwaters had Contamination in them Luckily the storm surge was not as bad as predicted because the storm tracked just a few miles east and therefore didn't cause flooding up the shipping channel, which was a very scary thing.
1: You know, I, yeah, I saw that that was the, the, the surge was not as bad as thought. Uh, they had predicted, forecasters had said it could be as much as 15 to 20 feet. Right. It was only, and I'm putting this in quotes, only 9 to 12 feet.
2: Yeah, still over a story of a, of a, of a single-story building. Yeah. Now there was one bright spot from Hurricane Laura's destruction. Apparently Lake Charles has been recently embroiled in a controversy about taking down a Confederate statue and <laughs> the uh, local parish government had voted two weeks ago to leave that up and allow it to stand. But apparently Hurricane Laura had other ideas <laughs> and brought it down anyway.
1: Really? It came yeah. down? Well there you go. Now I guess we know which side Hurricane Laura is on. <laughs> uh, there were some, I know, unimaginable choices for uh, some people. AP quotes, uh, Buck Millet, 78 years old of Lake Arthur, Louisiana, who considered evacuating but decided to ride out the storm due to concerns about the coronavirus. Yeah, um, he said a small tornado blew the cover off the bed of his pickup. It made him think the roof on his house was next. Everything was shaking. Other people said uh, it sounded like a thousand tornadoes went through here, just destruction everywhere. That was from someone near uh, Lake Charles speaking to AP. Houses, he says, are totally gone. They were there yesterday, but now they are gone. The storm was so powerful, apparently, that it could regain strength after turning to the east and reaching the Atlantic Ocean and potentially become another Huge storm uh, menacing the Northeast. Is yeah. that still on 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 target?
2: That's still on target. Parts of the Atlantic where it would be heading are very warm and provide some more fuel to give it more energy. So President Trump, by the way, says that he is going to visit the area over the weekend, which is, of course, the last thing that emergency responders need. And just a reminder that he recently cut $44 billion from FEMA's disaster relief fund, even though there were all these warnings about the uh, record-breaking hurricane season.
1: You know, and I can't help but notice that after three days of the Republican National Convention, with not one but two hurricanes slamming the U.S. during that time, one of them, as you said, the strongest, one of the strongest hurricanes to ever strike the U.S., uh, that along with record raging wildfires out here in Northern California, is it my imagination or has not one of the speakers to date at the RNC even mentioned the words, climate change over three days of their gathering, much less what we need to do about it.
2: I have not heard it. Now, I was not able to see every moment, but as far as I can tell, and from the reporting that I have seen, no one mentioned climate change at all.
1: That's it in three days uh, at the Republican National Convention. I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we will talk a little bit about that convention before we're joined by Colonel Moe Davis, uh, speaking about uh, just one of the things that happened at that RNC on Wednesday night. Quick break, and we are back with that and much more right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Here you come again, again. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, I got to say, after slogging through all of night three of the Republican National Convention, I did not recognize the Donald Trump who was described on uh, Wednesday night by uh, pretty much everyone, uh, including Mike Pence, as someone who is... Fighting for women's rights, working hard to keep Americans safe.
2: Who loves immigrants and brown yes. people and black people. And, Good yeah. to know.
1: Good to know he after sounded, all of this time. To
2: be honest, he sounded remarkably like Joe Biden.
1: Yeah, You're kind of right. You're right. Uh, they, again, they didn't make any mention of uh, climate change, even with a huge storm heading to uh, the Texas-Louisiana uh, border as they spoke. They continue to pretend that the covid crisis was over, even had a huge maskless crowd all huddled together to watch Mike Pence's keynote address, which made me terribly uncomfortable, frankly. Yeah, um, this not was...
2: demonstrating good social distancing or any kind, any of the things no. that the CDC has nope. said we should be doing.
1: No, nope. it was, uh, it was uh, given from uh, Fort McHenry, which is otherwise locked down because of the uh, COVID crisis. But, you know, I guess if you're vice president of a corrupt administration, I guess you get to open it up and use the taxpayer funded facilities for a political event and uh, a super spreader event, I guess, while you're at it at the same time. Uh, where even the president of the United States showed up without a mask to glad hand among the crowd at the end. Yeah. I mean, it was outdoors. So there is that. I don't know if he hands shook or not. He, I know he was close to everyone. He was patting people on the back. It was really creepy. We'll see how things go in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Just ask Herman Cain, who went to the last uh, Donald Trump super spreader event in Tulsa. The late Herman Cain. In any event, among the things you might have missed, were you not um, feeling up to watching it on uh, Wednesday night? Uh, South Dakota Governor Christy Noam said, uh, We will not be the subject of, quote, so called experts. <laughs> she said, Americans are being overrun by violent mobs, looting, murder. Retired Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, who is Pence's national security advisor. There was a lot of staffers. It seems like that's who they were able to get to show up, as people who worked for them already to show up and speak. So, and
2: endorse keeping their jobs.
1: Yes. And he said, uh, uh, Keith Kellogg said uh, that uh, Trump took out Soleimani, a man who killed hundreds of American troops. I just want to note here, he didn't. But that's what Dick Cheney said some years ago, and they've been just running with that ever since. The press secretary, Kylie McEnany, she spoke instead of, uh, you know, losing her job. Yes. Yes, sir. I'd be happy to speak. She said this president stands by Americans with pre-existing conditions. Who knew? (laughs) given that he's trying to kill the Affordable Care Act and hasn't replaced it with anything that would actually protect protect pre-existing conditions. The second lady, Karen Pence, spoke. Uh, What was notable about her remarks to me was that, unless I missed it, she didn't say anything at all about Donald Trump. Anything nice about him anyway. She did call for the re-election of her husband, the vice president, and Donald Trump, but she didn't talk about Donald Trump. That's interesting. Kellyanne Conway, the, again, White House counselor, although one who was leaving uh, the job at the end of this week, she said uh, that Trump has elevated women and insists they are on equal level with men. He's got a funny way of showing it, I gotta say, (laughs) at least according to the 20 women who have uh, filed uh, sexual harassment complaints and worse against him. Uh, Lou Holtz, the longtime Notre Dame football coach, uh, kind of amazingly said that Joe Biden, who is a lifelong Catholic, is, quote, a Catholic in name only. I thought that was kind of stunning. And frankly, if I had a longer show, I would have run that Lou Holtz segment in full, but people would have thought, because of what he was saying and the way he was saying it, people would have thought I was doing it to make fun of him when I would have just played the entire thing so that people could get a sense of what, uh, you know, these people who are at the heart of Trumpism and this year now the heart of Republicanism, what they actually sounded like. I don't have time, so I won't do that. You're welcome. But uh, go look up his speech and give it a listen. Yes. New York uh, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik said uh, she described the illegal impeachment scheme of Donald Trump and that it was an attack on you, that illegal impeachment scheme. Which Uh, wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> at all, She talked about, of course, the far-left Democrat socialist agenda, which I think was uh, mandatory if you were going to speak at uh, any of the nights of the RNC. You had to mention the far-left radical Democrat socialist agenda. Uh, Laura Trump, the wife of the president's son, Eric, who is the executive vice president of the Trump Organization, uh, actually... What she said was notable to me because she was the first Trump to speak, and there's been a lot of them, a lot of family members. Oh, yeah. She was the first one who actually spoke about the Trump family and and Donald Trump as a person and said that the family was warm, which is very nice, I guess, if true. I don't know. But, you know, none of the kids so far have talked about my, my my dad growing up. He told me this or that. He taught me this or that. They just talked about, you know, uh, uh, how great he was keeping and keeping the country safe the media or something. Is yeah, and
2: attacking Democrats.
1: Yeah, she also called the uh, Trump the law and order president. That, as her husband faces subpoenas for bank and tax fraud at the company he heads up, that is headed by his uh, her father-in-law, I guess. What else do we have here of note? A oh, Richard Grinnell, the former acting director of national intelligence, who. Uh, Nicole Wallace on NBC, she's a former uh, George W. Bush uh, aide, uh, described Richard Grinnell as an ambitious press aide in the George W. Bush administration who somehow was elevated to acting director of national intelligence under Donald Trump. He said that Donald Trump was a great negotiator who charmed the German chancellor.
2: (laughs) Which, of course, I laughed out loud at.
1: That may be news to Angela Merkel, the German chancellor.
2: Who notoriously dislikes Donald
1: he, Trump. He uh, he defended nationalism as if there was something wrong with nationalism. Right after discussing the German chancellor, I don't know if they were just the same things were on his mind. <laughs> uh, he said he claims that he saw the entire case against what he called Russiagate, I think. He said it made him sick. He said there was uh, lies to judges. It uh, was undercut, meant to undercut Trump during the transition. So far, there's no evidence for uh, that this was some sort of a scheme against Donald Trump. And you would think if he was the uh, acting director of national intelligence, he might have uh, made that information available for all to see. But the keynote speaker of the night, of course, was Vice President Mike Pence who uh, claimed that Democrats spent four days attacking America last week. Now, I did watch all of the DNC as well. I didn't notice any days when they attacked America. Maybe I missed it. He said where uh, Joe Biden sees American darkness, we see American greatness. That was kind of strange. Uh, Yeah, I guess I see it as American darkness for the last four years as well, as Joe Biden described it. They see that as greatness.
2: They see 180,000 dead Americans in eight months as greatness.
1: Great. Yep. As I mentioned, there were he noted the Medal of Honor winners and the elderly disabled vets who were there in the crowd. Yes. Which also made me uncomfortable because they were wearing no masks. These elderly Heroes. Uh, in any event, uh, it was a great audition for 2024. Frankly, I thought he was very presidential. I thought it was the best speech I've ever seen him give.
2: Most interesting. Um, and well, that's it not was not saying much, but it was.
1: But it was well delivered. He actually. Uh, Gave a good speech, no matter the content. Uh, He did say our hearts are with those families who have lost loved ones. Finally, three days into this thing, someone recognized the fact that 180,000 Americans have been killed. He didn't say why. He just said, uh, you know, our hearts are with them. And he uh, claimed that Trump was slowing the spread, protecting the vulnerable and saving lives and opening up America again without masks. He concluded near the end uh, with uh, some of these remarks. Joe Biden would double down on the very
0: policies that are leading to violence in America's cities. The hard truth is you won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. And with President Donald Trump in the White House for four more years and with God's help, we will make America great again. Again.
1: (laughs) So uh, Joe Biden uh, responded to those comments on Thursday, uh, claiming that Donald Trump is actually rooting for more violence, not less, because he thinks it's going to help him politically in an interview on MSNBC with Andrea Mitchell. Biden uh, said that um, responded to Mike Pence's comments there that people won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. And she noted that Jacob Blake, who was shot seven times in the back by a white police officer or officers in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in front of his three children, that he did not come up. His name did not come up at all on Wednesday at the RNC, nor the fact that a Trump fan the uh, fan and police fanboy shot and killed two peaceful protesters firing into that uh, crowd this week with a semi-automatic rifle. That didn't come up either uh, in Joe Biden's response. Jacob Blake was never mentioned in any of the speeches at the Republican convention, not mentioned when the vice president, Mike Pence, spoke last night. He also said that Joe Biden would double down on the very policies that are leading to violence in America's cities adding that the hard truth is you won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. Your response well, you know, to that? he keeps it. <laughs> yeah, Joe Biden's America. Look, uh, while running a video of Donald Trump's America, the problem we have right now is we're in Donald Trump's America. You know, to uh, to quote uh, um, Kelly Conway, she said, and I'm paraphrasing today, that they're looking for more violence and more disruption because it helps
0: them politically. He views this as a political benefit to him. You know, he's rooting
1: uh, for more violence, not less. And it's clear about that. And what's he doing? He's kept pouring gasoline on the fire. This happens to be Donald Trump's America. Donald Trump's America. You know, if I'm talking about safety, the biggest safety issue is all the people dying from COVID, over a thousand yesterday again. This is his America now. And you want to end where we are now, we've got to end his tenure as president. Now, uh, that reference to Kellyanne Conway, she said the the more chaos and anarchy and vandalism and violence reigns, the better it is for the very clear choice of who's on the public, uh, who's on the ballot, as if to encourage chaos and anarchy. That is all happening under Donald Trump in Donald Trump's America, not Joe Biden's. Now, very quickly, uh, there were more than 100 former staff members of the late Senator John McCain who have now come out pledging to support Joe Biden. And I know a lot of progressives listening to our program uh, may be tired of hearing about Republicans supporting Joe Biden and uh, and wish that he would have more of an outreach to progressives. Of course, I share that uh, desire. But that said, there are a lot of winnable fights out there this year in very Republican districts. Or areas, at least, that were once considered very Republican. One of them is on the uh, new court-ordered U.S. House map, which will be in play for the first time this year in the swingiest of all swing states, North Carolina. There is a reason why Republicans brought out their candidate for that seat, a 25-year-old kid at Wednesday's RNC who is running to fill the seat left vacant by Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. And it is not because they are so confident that they are going to hang on to that seat, even though it's a district which Trump won by 57 points last year. The story of GOP Nazi enthusiast and North Carolina U.S. House candidate Matt Madison Cawthorn and his opponent, Colonel Mo Davis, who joins us right here. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The great state of North Carolina over the past several presidential elections has proven to be pretty much the most closely divided of all of the battleground states in the country. In 2008, the state barely went to Barack Obama. In 2012, it barely went to Mitt Romney. In 2016, it went to Donald Trump. But on that same statewide ballot... North Carolinians elected a Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, who is up for re election this year, facing Republican Dan Forrest. And while there hasn't been a whole lot of polling in the state since the spring, Cooper currently leads Forrest in the Tar Heel state, according to the Real Clear Politics polling average, by a whopping 17 points. After swinging back and forth several times in the swing state this year, Joe Biden is currently believed to be tied with Donald Trump in the real clear politics average of pre-election polling in the state. But in the race to flip Republican Senator Tom Tillis's seat from red to blue, the Democratic candidate Cal Cunningham currently leads the incumbent Tillis in the RCP average by almost five points as uh, as of quite a bit of recent polling data on that race this, uh, this past month. It could, emphasis could, since voters should take nothing for granted given all of the unknown variables this year, it could prove to be a good year for Democrats in the state of North Carolina. But will a potential blue wave in the state if it happens this November also extend to some of the... Long time gerrymandered Republican U.S. House seats in North Carolina, where the similarly gerrymandered GOP state legislature created U.S. House maps, which ensured, despite the close political division of the state, ensured that Republicans would easily hold 10 of the 13 U.S. House districts over the past decade. After years of court battles in both state and federal courts, each time finding that Republicans, yes, had unlawfully gerrymandered the state, new, theoretically fairer, court-ordered maps are finally in place for this year's elections. And while the critics argue that the new maps created by the Republican legislature have not been made fair enough to Democrats, experts believe those new districts nonetheless could result in at least Two House seats flipping from red to blue this year in North Carolina in the state's 11th congressional district, a so-called deep red region in the western part of the state where Donald Trump is said to have won by a whopping 57 points back in 2016. There's an open seat, an open seat race to fill the one that was vacated by former congressman turned Donald Trump's latest chief of staff, Mark Meadows. The candidate, endorsed by Trump and Meadows in the primary, lost in this year's Republican primary. The winner instead was 25-year-old Madison Cawthorn, a staffer of Meadows, though one who Meadows apparently chose not to endorse for some reason. Perhaps it's because he knows Cawthorn, who our friend Howie Klein of the progressive blog Down with Tyranny describes as, quote, a right wing certifiably insane person. And yes, he also calls him a Nazi sympathizer with evidence to support that very serious charge. Howie cites the Jewish telegraphic Agency's reporting that following an expose from the website Jezebel, Cawthorn, quote, has taken down pictures he posted to Instagram from a 2017 vacation to the Eagle's Nest, the Nazi retreat in Germany that Hitler visited more than a dozen times. In captioning his Instagram photos, uh, according to the uh, Jewish Telegraphic Agency, Cawthorn called Hitler Führer, a term of reverence, and notes that the Republican superstar in the making also named his real estate company spqr a term popular among white nationalists it's a company by the way with just one employee which does not seem to have actually sold any real estate and in his home he uh, reportedly displays an early american flag that the anti-defamation league says has been appropriated by far-right extremists The removal of his Instagram photos at the Führer's vacation pad, according to Jezebel, helped make their case that he is, quote, following the playbook of other more successful far-right Republicans in recent years, attempting to rebrand his extreme views as squarely in the mainstream of the Republican Party. Cawthorn, however, is running against a very serious candidate this year, Retired Air Force Colonel Morris Davis, who will join us here momentarily. Some of you who opposed George W. Bush's use of torture on prisoners held at Guantanamo Bay may recognize his name, but more on that in a moment. The 11th District has been reshaped by the new redistricting, uh, though the race between Cawthorne and Colonel Davis is still regarded as likely Republican by the Cook Political Report, who Howie Klein Once described on this program as always absolutely right about everything right up until Election Day when they have been proven consistently wrong. This week's insane Republican National Convention was insane enough to put their new North Carolina wunderkind on display during night three of the RNC where the dashing young Cawthorn in his wheelchair following a car accident on the way home from a spring, uh, spring break trip to Florida in 2014, left him paralyzed at the age of 18. Cawthorn made his case to what has become of the Republican Party. In 2020,
3: our country has a choice. We can give up on the American idea, or we can work together to make our imperfect union more perfect. I choose to fight for the future, to seize the high ground and retake the shining city on a hill. While the radical left wants to dismantle, defund, and destroy, Republicans, under President Trump's leadership, want to rebuild, restore, and renew. I just turned 25. When I'm elected this November, I'll be the youngest member of Congress in over 200 years. And if you don't think young people can change the world, then you just don't know American history. George Washington was 21 when he received his first military commission. Abe Lincoln, 22 when he first ran for office and my personal favorite James Madison was just 25 years old when he signed the Declaration of Independence. In times of peril, young people have stepped up and saved this country, abroad and at home. We held the line, scaled the cliffs, crossed oceans, liberated camps and cracked codes. Yet today political forces want to usher in the digital dark ages, a time of information without wisdom and tribalism without truth national leaders on the left have normalized emotion-based voting and a radicalized identity politics that rejects Martin Luther King's dream MLK's dream is our dream for all Americans to be judged solely on their character millions of people risk their lives every year to come here because they believe in the dream of MLK and the American dream join us As we, the party of freedom, double down on ensuring the American dream for all people, we are committed to building a new town square. It welcomes all ideas and all people. Here we will have freedom of speech, not freedom from speech. To liberals, I say let's have a conversation. Be a true liberal. Listen to other ideas and let the best ones prevail. And to conservatives, I say, let's define what we support and win the argument in areas like healthcare and on the environment. In this new town square, you don't have to apologize for your beliefs or cower to a mob. You can kneel before God but stand for our flag. The American idea my ancestors fought for during the Revolutionary War is just as exciting and revolutionary today as it was 250 years ago. I say to Americans who love our country, young and old, be a radical for freedom, be a radical for liberty, and be a radical for our republic, for which I stand, one nation under God, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, and may God bless America.
1: Uh, For the record, that was uh, Republican uh, Madison Cawthorn, 25-year-old candidate for the uh, U.S. House in the 11th District of North Carolina. The young man who accused you there of perhaps not knowing history by claiming that his personal favorite, James Madison, was just 25 years old when he signed the Declaration of Independence. Well, he's wrong about that. In fact, Madison did not sign the declaration at all, though he did help draft the U.S. Constitution at the age of 36. But hey, in a post-fact world, do such things really matter anymore? Here to respond to whether facts actually matter anymore and to Cawthorn's big night at the RNC is his Democratic rival for the U.S. House seat in North Carolina's 11th District. Colonel Moe Davis served with great distinction in the U.S. Air Force for 25 years and earned many Distinguished Service Medals and Awards along the way. He earned a degree in military law in 1992 and eventually became Chief Military Prosecutor at Guantanamo Bay. In 2007, he pushed back against the George W. Bush administration by refusing to use evidence obtained through torture in prosecutions against accused terrorists held at Gitmo. When he was ordered to do so anyway, he resigned in protest. For his stand against torture and the political pressure placed on prosecutors at Gitmo, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, or crew, honored Colonel Davis by including him in Those Who Dared, 30 Officials Who Stood Up For Our Country. Colonel Davis would also go on to criticize the Obama administration's use of prosecutions at Gitmo. He later served as a national security expert for Congress, a law professor at Howard University. That's an historically black university and as judge in the U.S. Department of Labor under both Presidents Obama and Trump. Colonel Mo Davis, sir, a uh, member of the radical left, I guess. Welcome to the broadcast. <laughs> it's an It's an honor to have you here, sir.
0: Oh, thanks, Brad. It's a real privilege to be here.
1: I uh, have followed your work for a long time, uh, so I'm I'm delighted to finally have you on the show. You heard Young Cawthorn there um, make his uh, make his case that uh, I should say Young Madison, I guess, make his uh, case for his own youth and inexperience. While your website slogan is Experience Matters, I wanted to give you the opportunity to respond to his remarks at the RNC on Wednesday night.
0: Well, they were interesting. I, uh, you know, he always gives you a good show. He's a very handsome young man, uh, very charismatic and mm-hmm. articulate, and uh, you know, there's there's a lot of sizzle there, but not much beneath the uh, beneath the surface. And uh, you know, he's he's tried to explain away the uh, James uh, Madison. Uh, line saying, oh, what he, what he really meant was Madison was 25 when the Declaration was signed. <laughs> wow. But as you know, well, that Madison had nothing to do with it. that'd be like me saying I was four years old when John Glenn cir- circled the Earth. Yeah, so I was going to say, an, I, I was I was like even an astronaut.
1: No, and I was even younger when the uh, Declaration of Independence was signed. That doesn't make me a great <laughs> American. So, yes, right. press on. Yes,
0: yeah, sir. <laughs> Yeah, so, I you know, uh, in fact, you know, for folks who still believe in facts, I've got more in common with James Madison than Madison Cawthorn does. I mean, uh, Madison graduated from college, from Princeton, and he was a colonel uh, before he ever ran for Congress. So, uh, you know, my opponent, Madison Cawthorn, uh, didn't go to college. He was homeschooled here in, in North Carolina and uh, never served. So, uh, again, I think we want to Draw analogies to James Madison. Uh, I've got a much straighter line to that than he does.
1: <laughs> he uh, he said that uh, conservatives can win the argument on both health care and the environment, and yet Republicans, I, I notice, have offered no plan to replace the Affordable Care Act after all of these years of bashing uh, Obamacare, and have not, in three long nights of the RNC, have not even mentioned climate change, which I, I think does not go unnoticed in a hurricane-ravaged state like North Carolina, even as a hurricane is uh, ravaging uh, 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 the Gulf Coast today. Has um, uh, Cawthorn actually articulated any views about health care or the environment in his own campaign there? Because he certainly didn't do it on Wednesday night.
0: Yeah, that's what I was waiting for, because he... Uh he was on with uh, Maria Bartiromo on Fox uh, Business News mm. uh, yesterday morning, and he said that's what he was going to talk about was you know, being the fresh new face of the party and addressing healthcare and the environment. That he didn't address either. It was disturbing too. Uh, Maria Bartiromo uh, during her interview you know, thanked him for his service to the country, and he didn't correct her. There's a perception that because he's uh, you know, in a wheelchair that he was injured and in, you know, serving the country, and. Ah. Uh, he was injured in a car wreck in Florida when he had his feet up on the dash during spring break and and, uh, had an accident, but he didn't correct her. He just let that stuff go. Wow. He's done the same thing with the narrative that uh, Mark Meadows had nominated him him for the uh, Naval Academy. And if you look at his website, it says he was nominated for the Academy, and then he had this catastrophic accident, and it derailed his plans. And all that is true, but it leaves out the fact that he's testified under oath that he was informed by the academy prior to his accident that he'd been rejected so uh, <laughs> the accident had nothing to do with the reason he didn't go to the naval academy wow so uh, he just plays he plays fast and loose with the uh, with the truth and i guess if you're on the side that uh you know alternative facts are acceptable then uh, he's got a whole whole bag full
1: yeah, I was going to say that's sort of a feature, not a bug, in the Republican Party these days. Right. Uh well yeah. so. oh, you
0: know, you know the, one, the one, the one, thing he has addressed is healthcare. Yeah. Because uh, he and I are running to represent, as you said, you know, this the North North Carolina 11th congressional district are the 17 westernmost counties in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and prior to COVID 19, all 17 of our counties, the a uh, percentage of people that didn't have health care coverage was above the national average. And then, of course, with COVID-19, that numbers have gone up. And uh, Mr. Cawthorn's plan for addressing health care is that we need more insurance companies, uh. um, which, you know, is laughable. I mean, with people, when they lost their jobs during COVID-19, if, you, uh, if you're you out of work, you're uh, you know, having more insurance companies isn't going to help you. So no. it's, that's his that's his fresh new plan for the Republican Party: is more insurance companies.
1: No, it's not going to help you. And uh, although, I, I mean, is he trying to make the argument that more insurance companies would provide more competition on the Obama Care uh, health insurance exchanges?
0: Well, he hadn't, mis- he hadn't mentioned the exchange, but what he has mentioned is we had more insurance companies competing for uh, you know for uh, for coverage that mm-hmm. uh, it should lower the cost. But again, if you if you're out of work, you know, it doesn't matter uh, how far they lower it. So I'm supporting a, a government-funded public option mm-hmm. so that everybody from cradle to grave has the ability to go to the doctor when they get sick.
1: And how do uh, progressive, and that's essentially Joe Biden's uh, proposal, how, how do progressive ideas like Medicare for all or the Green New Deal, uh, how do those go over in places like Western North Carolina?
0: Well, it depends where you are. I don't, I don't know if you've been here. Uh, Asheville Mm -hmm. is uh, the the biggest city in in this district, and that's where I live. It's a great town. I've described it for uh, folks that have never been here as the uh, Berkeley of the Blue Ridge. Mm. Because if you picked up Berkeley and flew it across the country and dropped it in the Appalachian Mountains, you'd you'd have Asheville. Very very progressive, very accepting, very artsy, Mm forward-leaning, big blue dot Mm -hmm. in the middle of a sea of red. So in, in Asheville, if, if if I was a little left of AOC, that would be hugely popular. <laughs> and if you go ten, 10 miles in any direction, uh, that's not popular. So that's that's one of the real challenges is trying to, uh, uh, you know, I, I I guess I would describe myself as more of a centrist, mm-hmm. and uh, to try to you know I I wanted to run on policies that I believe in and not just go out there and say things for the sake of. Uh, trying to win office mm-hmm. and so i think uh my the, the positions i'm running on tend to you know people keep asking me if i'm you know uh, how i'd label myself and i said it depends on who i'm talking to right because in some circles i'm viewed as a you know alt-right you know conservative and in others i'm uh, part of the radical left mob just depending on the audience but i think <laughs> uh, since both sides are you know, kind of freaked out. I think being in the middle is uh, a good place to be.
1: And I do note on your website, uh, MoDavisForCongress.com, you talk about uh, big investments, uh, uh, by the way, akin to the Green New Deals, big investments uh, in, uh, in energy, renewable energy, uh, that will bring uh, millions of jobs that seems like it's all just sitting there in, you know, uh, solar and wind and so forth. Uh, I want to ask about something that um, Uh, Cawthorn said about the Democrats want to usher us into the digital dark ages. Uh, a, what the hell is he talking about there? And as to actual, and B, as to actual digital dark ages, as I understand it, there's a lack of broadband access in many areas of Western North Carolina in, in your and his district. I'm wondering why he didn't discuss that. And, uh, you know, it, it makes me wonder what, what are kids doing there when it comes to distance learning right now during the pandemic? Yeah,
0: that's uh, it, it really is a... Uh... A major issue out here and it's one i think that we can find uh, i can tell you a little bit you know traveling around the district it, it's an issue that resonates i think with everybody because it doesn't matter if you're a, a democrat or republican or independent if you live in an area that doesn't have broadband you're you're behind mm-hmm. and so one of the things that this has shown when COVID 19 hit and school kids got sent home with a laptop if you're in one of those areas that doesn't have broadband it's a paperweight and a lot of folks here had never heard the term telemedicine before Mm -hmm. but if you're in one of those areas without broadband you can't use it Uh, with 14 of our 17 counties prior to COVID 19 were above the national average in poverty and you can't recruit business to come here when you don't have broadband because it's an essential utility like water and electricity and then i'm a disabled veteran i use the va hospital here in Nashville. this either the best or one of the best VA hospitals Mm -hmm. anywhere in the country. And and, uh, the newsletter a week or two ago said that since March 1st, the number of telemedicine appointments through the VA is up 1,000%. But if you're one of the 65,000 veterans in this district and you don't have broadband, you can't use that benefit. So, uh, it's like I said, it's an issue that I was out in one of the western counties and I met with someone there who's a Republican, and we talked about broadband and, Later, I got an email from him with some ideas he had, and he's going to vote for me. So I think it's an issue that uh, that we can we can agree on and try to unite. But in uh, this area, and by any objective measure, Mark Meadows was in office four terms. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, health care coverage, every county is above the national average in the percentage of folks uninsured. Mm-hmm. Uh, broadband access, and we've got counties where it's less than 50%. Nationwide, it's 92%. Mm-hmm. Educationally, when I grew up in North Carolina, we had good schools. And I'm a proud uh, product of the North Carolina public education system, which my opponent refers to as liberal indoctrination centers. Mm-hmm. He was homeschooled. But our schools, our kids rank in the bottom third of the country in math and reading now. So by any objective measure, this district is behind. And Mr. Cawthorn has yet to, uh, you know, his, his whole thing is uh, faith. Freedom and uh, family—that sounds great, but uh, that's not a policy for, for getting this district back into the into the modern
1: age. one, one of the uh, one of Donald Trump's tropes is that he was against the wars in Iraq, uh, at least uh, before it began. Though there's really no evidence to support that. In fact, the evidence shows just the opposite. Uh, while at the same time claiming that he uh, wants to end overseas wars, he has increased troop size in the Middle East, and he's called for more people to be warehoused at Gitmo, where you served as the uh, chief military prosecutor there. W- why is he, is he wrong about that, and, and why is he wrong about that, Colonel?
0: Well, you know, it's amazing to me. You know, As you mentioned, I, I resigned as chief prosecutor back uh, in October of 2007 mm-hmm. so we're coming up on 13 years since I resigned and not much has happened in 13 years which is a real shame uh, you know Khalid Sheikh Mohammed uh, arrived at uh, Gitmo in September of 2006 and it's 14 years later and he still has not been to, been tried and I don't lose any sleep for Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, but I, you know the the nine eleven victim family members that are still around have been denied some closure and a measure of justice for you know at least a decade longer than they should have.
1: And why you has know, the only one, why has he not sure. been tried? Is that because the all the evidence that the, uh, we really have against him was gained uh, via the use of torture?
0: No. It, Purely politics. I mean, you know, when I was chief prosecutor, we are building the case without using anything he ever said in our custody. Mm-hmm. You know, which, which doesn't excuse what we did to him, but it makes it irrelevant in his criminal trial if we're not using that evidence. Mm-hmm. And there's ample evidence to prove his guilt without using anything he ever said. So it's purely politics. You there, there were 14 men that landed at Gitmo in September 2006. It came out of the CIA black site. And the only one that's been tried, convicted, sentenced, and the case has been all the way through the U.S. Supreme Court, and it's over, is Ahmed Galani, Mm -hmm. who was involved in the East Africa embassy bombings. And Mr. Galani was the only detainee that was ever brought from Guantanamo to the U.S. and tried in federal district court. Mm -hmm. And he was tried and convicted during the Obama administration back in 2010. So... The other cases could have been as well. Instead, they floundered down at Guantanamo for another decade, and mm. uh, it's purely politics. And it's a shame the amount of money and credibility that we have wasted
1: you were Guantanamo. You were, uh, of course, uh, critical of Obama's prosecutions at, at, uh, at Gitmo as well, but he attempted, at least, to move as many prisoners out of there as he could before leaving office. Uh, do, do you have any reason to believe that his vice president, Joe Biden, would be any better on the, uh, well, as you know, sort of now little discussed uh, constitutional questions of this uh, extrajudicial prison camp that Donald Trump, uh, uh, you know, wants to control for another four years?
0: Yeah, I think Biden, uh, hopefully, if you, if you recall back during the uh during the Obama administration, I wrote, I wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that was critical of their handling of Guantanamo, and mm-hmm. I got you know I got fired from my job in uh, working for Congress for mm-hmm. writing the op-ed. But mm-hmm. if you recall at the end of the Obama administration, Eric Holder was reflecting on uh, you know achievements and things that uh, he wished they could uh, have a do-over on, and one of those was uh, giving up on trying to close Guantanamo. He said, you know, in hindsight, that was a mistake. So I would hope that uh, Vice President President Biden would pick up from that point and uh, and do the right thing.
1: I, I've got just a minute or two here. I'm speaking with Colonel Mo Davis, running for uh, Congress in North Carolina's 11th district. Uh, Colonel, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the right wing terrorist murder of two peaceful protesters there uh, on Tuesday by a 17 year old who appears to have been obsessed with uh, with the police and with uh, Donald Trump apparently
0: yeah it's uh you know I wish the you know folks that are on my side of the aisle you know the the, the label defund the police I to me that's an uncontested layup we gave to the other side uh, we've had ads running here you, you may have Seen other places. You know, it's, a, it's a Trump ad where a lady's dialing nine one one, and on the other end they're saying, "Hey, you know, we've been defunded. We can't come help you." What I wish we, and my background's in law enforcement, and what I wish we'd have called it was reimagining policing, mm. because I, I think there are a lot of things that we've dumped on on police that could be perhaps better handled uh, elsewhere, mm-hmm. like uh, mental mental health issues and drug addiction and alcoholism in my opinion should be treated as health care issues not criminal justice issues mm-hmm. but i'm hopeful yeah we I, I went on a hike today with some of my neighbors up to one of the waterfalls up here and we were talking about it and we were saying that you know the shooting you know the beginning you know with George Floyd up until now that seems to be uh, momentum that we haven't seen in the past you know in the past when we saw shootings you know there was a big uproar for about a week and then Folks lost the attention; and it went elsewhere. But this time, it seems like there—it really is different. And we were talking about—it's it's unimaginable how many times things like this happened in the past when there weren't cell phones there to record it mm-hmm. that we never heard about. Yeah. So, in the age we're living in, we've seen it's—it's it's, there's no excuse for shooting a man in the back seven times who hadn't done anything threatening. Uh, to the police officers so I'm, I'm hopeful that this time it's going to be different and we we'll, it's encouraging here in western north carolina we had black lives matter marches in cities mm-hmm. in small towns that you never would have thought you know they're in deep red areas and you never would have thought you'd see those marches there but you know i'm, I'm hopeful this time is different and we will make something good out of this and uh, i certainly want to do my part to, to make that happen
1: Uh, Lastly, Colonel uh, Donald Trump won the 11th district in 2016 by some 57 points. Uh, How much has the district been changed with the uh, new maps, the recent uh, court ordered redistricting? And has the uh, district itself uh, and the voters after four years of Donald Trump changed enough that you could actually uh, flip Mark Meadows's old seat there from red to blue this November as you see it?
0: There, there's no if about it we're going to win this seat it uh, the new boundary you know i mentioned Asheville, mm-hmm. being the berkeley the blue ridge what the republicans had done in the past is they split it down the middle to dilute the democratic vote and they put half in the district that mark meadows represented and half in the district that patrick McHenry represents so that the democrats mathematically it was impossible to win here mm-hmm. but the new map puts Asheville and buncombe county which is the the epicenter of the, you know, the Democratic population, put it back together. And it's still a Republican-leaning district. We, we believe it's about a six- or seven-point Republican-leaning district. But our polling shows that uh, when voters get to know me and my opponent and my record and his lack of a record and where we stand on policy, that uh, when voters get to know us, I win by 17 points. Mm. So that, that's my challenge for the next uh, 68 days is to educate the voters so they can make an informed decision, and when they do that, uh, we win. So I'm really encouraged, and uh, like I said, we're, we're going to win
1: this thing. All right, well, uh, go get him, Colonel Mo Davis. Uh, thank you, sir, for your service, and I think I can thank you for that uh, without needing to be corrected. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, you can find uh, 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 Morris Davis. Uh, his website is mo moedavisforcongress.com, you can also find him on the Twitters at COL, as in Colonel, Colonel Morris Davis, C.O.L. Morris Davis on the Twitters. Uh, he is the former chief military prosecutor at Guantanamo, where he opposed the use of torture in prosecutions. He is now the Democratic nominee for Congress in North Carolina's 11th District. Colonel, really appreciate you joining us today and uh, hope to get to talk to you in the future and uh, I'll be able to call you congressman as well as colonel. Well, thank
0: you, Brad. I really appreciate it. Uh, Stay safe and take care out there.
1: Thank you, sir. Okay, and thank you, Desi Doyen. I have got to get out, our producer. (laughs) And my thanks to those of you who spent a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, a service made possible by those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you for that. You can drop us email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.